chapter, uh, chapter 19, and we're going to start reading there because this is the sign of the red heifer that's just happened. And I hope I can do the best job I can in trying to explain this to you so that you can see this. But let's just go to these verses, and we're going to look at a few of them. And I want you to understand this. Here's number one. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law. This is the ordinance of the, of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect, no which yoke has never been come. This, this red heifer cannot have any blemish on it whatsoever. When they look at these, these calves, it cannot have, if it has more than two white hairs on it, it is defunct. It, they can't use it. If it has any kind of blemish, if it has been, if it has, as this says, in which there is uh, no defect, in which the yoke has never come. If it has, if it has a notch in its ear, or if it's been tagged, it would say simply that the red heifer then, at that point, has been defecto. It can't be used. So, this is what he says. He gives this to him. All right. Then go on to verse three. Uh, he says, "You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, that he may take it outside the camp." and it shall be slaughtered before him. Did you notice where they took it to? Where did they take it to? Outside the camp. Where did our Lord suffer? Where was he crucified? Outside the camp. So this is a type of Jesus Christ. All right, let's go on. Let's go on to verse 4. Uh, uh, yeah, is that, was that four? Okay, go to verse, is that, what was on? 4. And Eliezer the priest shall take some of, okay, Eliezer the priest shall take some of the blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of the meeting. All right, go on to verse uh, 5. Go on to verse 5. And then the heifer shall be burnt in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and awful, uh, and awful, which that, awful, what that basically, what that means, it means also, it can mean the dung of the animal, but it also can mean the intestines of the animal. Go to verse 6, and, and, and verse 6, and so he is, to, he is to slaughter the animal, take it out, and then he begins to burn it. And verse 6, and the priest shall take the cedar stick, a wood and hyssop, and hyssop is a plant that they use basically like a brush, hyssop and scarlet, and cast them into the midst of the fire burning with the heifer. All right, now, go to verse 7. And then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe his water, and afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until evening. Now, what is this whole thing about? It's about purification. That's what it's about. All right, let's go to verse 8. And the one who burns it, will wash his clothes in water and bathe in water and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, shall gather up the ashes of the heifer uh, and store them outside the camp in a clean place and they shall keep them for a congregation of the children of Israel for the water and the purification. It's purification from sin. Now, once they, once they burnt this, this uh, heifer, and they took all the ashes that was there. They would take the ashes and put it in a container and put it in a place that was purified. Okay? Now let me say this to you. There has only been nine red heifers. All exist from Moses on. There's only been nine red heifers. This one that they've just got now, even though there's five of them, but the one they're going to have now is the tenth one. And the Jews teach 
that this will be the last red heifer. Now, they would take, how you know, and so they have not, get this, they have not had a red heifer since the time of Jesus. They've not had a red heifer since the time of Jesus. And so if you take, you take that, and we'll get into the, the uh, temples and that kind of stuff in a minute. But if you take that all the way through, how did they, then how did they be able to do this purification? They would take the ashes and they would keep the ashes to a certain extent. After the, but the ashes have gone. They ran out. So they have not had a red heifer since basically the time of Jesus. Now, so go on to verse, uh, what, uh, verse 9. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purification from what? Sin is what it says. Go on to verse, uh, on to verse 10. And the one who gathers the ashen heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And it shall be a statue. Notice this, verse 10. It shall be a statue for how long? Forever. So this is not passed away. This is not passed away. It's still in the force. Now, some people say, well, okay, Lee, the Bible talks about, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the temple, and it talks about the fact that in the temple, there are going to be sacrifices made. And people say, well, I thought all that was over with. Well, not from the standpoint of why he, what the purpose of it is. Because what the purpose of it is, is just like it's for the Jews. It's not for us. But it's for the Jews in that time because think about this. You and I, what do we do every Sunday that reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross and what, what he did on the cross for us and what, he, uh, and, and what he's going to do for us in heaven? What do we do? Lord's Supper. That's the same thing. So when it talks about, when it talks about the, uh, the offerings or things, that's what it's talking about. It's, it's more of a memorial. It is a time uh, that they do this. Now, let's go on to verse. Uh, uh, so a statue forever to the children of Israel, to the stranger dwells among them. Now, the Jews know this. It's forever. It is for purification. But they haven't had a red heifer since the time of Jesus. Going to verse 11. He who touches a dead man, anyone is unclean seven days. He shall purify himself. Listen to this. Verse 12. He shall purify himself with the water. What water? The water that has the ashes in it from this. On the third day and on the seventh day, then he will be clean, but he does not purify himself. On the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel, and he shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. He's unclean. He was unclean. Why? Because they could not take the waters of purification and purify him. Now, we're talking about Jewish tradition and things here, okay? But we're talking about the Word of God also. Verse 14, this is the law. When a man dies in the tent... All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened to it is unclean. And whoever is in the open field touches one of the slain by the sword or one who is dead or born of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. Now, I'm going to stop there. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Let me read 17. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin... And running water shall be put on them in a vessel. 
So what's this whole thing about? It's about purification. What's it? Who, purification for who? The priest to be able to function in the temple. Okay? Now, let, 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 me, let, let me do this with you. Okay. So we see a type here of Christ as a sacrifice. Now, what we know is, we know, because we know that, I, I once heard a rabbi on, on some show or whatever, and they were having a Q&A and asking, and one of the questions that finally somebody asked, well, you guys always said that, you know, the Bible says, it says in the Old Testament that the life is in the blood. In the, Old, in the New Testament, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no remission of sin. Well, uh, and the question was, well, okay, guys, then for you all to be forgiven, you have to have a sacrifice. Well, where's your sacrifice? Well, what do you do? Well, his answer was, we repent. Well, that's fine. That's what we do if we sin after we come to Jesus. But that's not what they say. Why is that? Because the sacrifice has already come. When did the sacrifice come? It came 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. He was, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb, behold, the Lamb of God that does what? That takes away the sins of the world. That does what for you and I? That purifies us so that, as the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we might be purified. All right, so Christ is, is like that sacrifice. Uh, and, and the killing of that sacrifice, Jesus was killed. The sevenfold sprinkling of the blood, putting away all the believer's sin is before God. Now, and, and put up there Hebrews 9, verse 12 through 14. Look at what it says. It says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once and for all having obtained eternal redemption. Go on to the next verse. For if the blood of bulls and goats and, ash, and the ashes of a heifer... Sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, verse 14. How much more? I love that, that statement. Paul makes this a lot. He makes it five times just in the chapter 5 of the book of Romans. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's what he's saying. Now, let's go also to Hebrews 10. And let's look at verses 10 and 12. By, by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 11. Notice what did we just read here. It was for what? Forever. And every, every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take, never can take away sins. They were just tokens. That's, I think this is maybe why the Bible says that God winked at sin. We go on, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for his sins forever, did what? Sat down at the right hand of God. And I don't know whether you got 13 up there. If you go on to 13, because it's a great verse, uh, and, and if you can go on to that, it says, From the time waiting till his enemies had made him as a footstool, go on to 14. For, here it is. Listen to this. For by one offering he has perfected, forever those who are being sanctified. You get that? What did Jesus say? You've been perfected forever uh, uh, and being sanctified. Now, all right, uh, the, reduction, uh, the, the reduction of the sacrifice to ashes, which are preserved in memorial to the sacrifice, and the cleansing from defilement, you know, and, and so what, what does it mean, cleansing and defilement? Because sin has two aspects. That aspects to it. What is it? One is guilt, and what's the other one? Uncleanness. And so these people were 
when they were sprinkled with this, they were considered to be then clean again. Uh, you know, by sprinkling the water mixed with the ashes, the Holy Spirit uses the word to convict believers of evil within our life. That's the, he does the very same thing for us. Now, thus convicted, thus when we're convicted, we remember that the guilt of his sin had been met by the sacrifice of Christ, 1-7. Uh, I'm not going to get into all these. But why, but so, so let's, get, let's get into this. Why is this so important? Why is this red heifer so important? Here, here's, what I want to, here's what I want to do with you. There are three temples. Well, the third temple hasn't been built yet, even though it looks like there's three. Okay, because the first temple we know was what? Solomon's temple. It was Solomon's temple, which was Solomon, the son of David, and he built a temple, and the, the, this temple was absolute glorious and magnificent, and even, even it was so great that people came from all over the world to see what Solomon had built. And, one of the, and even the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon with all this. But we know also that when God's people turned their back on God, and they would not honor, if you read 2 Chronicles, it talks the last, almost the last chapter there, the first, either 1 Chronicles or 2 Chronicles 1. The last chapter, it tells you why did they have to go into the Babylonian captivity. It tells simply because they would not honor his Sabbaths. Well, I mean, in other words, he had a sabbatical year in which the Sabbaths were to do what? They were to not work during that year. They were not to have to grow any crops. The land was to rest. The whole nine yards here. Why? Because it was a demonstration of their absolute, total dependence upon God. That's what it was. And as a result of that, they refused to do it. And so because they had done it, and it was seven years, because they had done it ten times, seven times ten equals seventy. And so as a result of that, what happened? They went into the Babylonian captivity, and they went into the Babylonian captivity for 70, for 70 years. And it was during that time that the Babylonians came in, and they, they came into Jerusalem, and they, took, they, they came the first time, and they took people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and those people the first time. They came the second time, but when they came in the third time, and they surrounded that, they surrounded Jerusalem on the third time, and the people would not give in to it, but as they surrounded it, they had no food. The conditions within Jerusalem were absolutely terrible. There, there's evidence that there was uh, barbarianism and also uh, what's, what's cannibalism going on because they had nothing to eat. And they finally go in and they take over that city. And, and Nebuchadnezzar goes in and what's he do to this temple and everything in it? He destroys all of it. He destroys all of it. Now... Once the Babylonian captivity is over with, there comes a man uh, that is mentioned both in Matthew 24 uh, and also a, a mentioned in the, the, uh, the genealogies of Jesus both in Matthew 24 and also in Luke 21. And Zerubbabel now builds that temple back. But when he builds that temple back, and he does build it back, in the book of Ezra, one of the things it tells us there, it tells us simply that the people that had lived during the time, they were old enough, because it had just been about 70 years, but some people were old enough to remember this temple, that when they saw this, and they saw what he had built here as a temple for them to worship in, it says that many people wept their eyes out, because it did not compare to that temple. Now, 
What happened with this temple in the times of Jesus, we know that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he was born in a stable, yet from where Bethlehem was, he could look right over and see the temple that was called Herod's Temple. And when they see Herod's Temple uh, and what Herod had done, he had taken the remains of what Zerubbabel had built and built onto it or reconstructed it or did, uh, you know, reconditioned it or whatever. Now, what we also know happened to this temple was in 70 A.D., what happened? The Romans come in, and because of Nero, I think it was, uh, it, it, they did not... Now, now, you know, Jesus, in Matthew 24, Jesus comes out of the temple, and when he does, the disciples are with him, and, and they start pointing out the architecture, and they start saying to Jesus, boy, look at this, and look at this, and look at this, look at all this stuff that's here. Isn't this great, whatever? What does Jesus say? Jesus says simply, he says... Guys, I want you to understand something. He said, there's coming a time that not one single solitary stone will not be uncovered or being torn down from this place. Not one single solitary stone. Well, in 70 A.D., the Romans came in, and they really, it was a, sort of, and some of the things I've read is almost an accident. They didn't intend to do it, but it caught on fire, and it burnt the temple down. Because there were gold artifacts and things, this is how, this is how the Word of God is so perfect in every way, that because there were artifacts of gold and things in that temple, those things melted. And when they melted, what did they do? They ran in between the cracks of the stones in the temple. So what did they do? They went and they took them stone by stone apart to get to what? To get to the gold. And Jesus said that was going to happen. So now we come, we come now to the third temple. So why is this so important? Well, here's what I'm going to say. The, the, the greatest sign of the rebuilding, and of course we know that what's going to happen is, and probably this is going to be a third temple. Now everybody thinks this. Everybody thinks the reason the third temple has not been built is because of the Islamics. You, you, you remember the story of, of Ruth? Uh, is it Ruth? or uh, No, I think it's, it's Rebecca and her... her uh, her brother and her mother, it's not, there's no father in there, prays a prayer over her when, uh, uh, when Eliezer comes to get them, uh, and he comes to get them, uh, the servant of Abraham, to take a bride back to his son Isaac. And they say to him, they say to him, uh, simply, uh, if I can find it, it says, may you be, uh, they, uh, they come out and, yeah, this is where it is. They, they say, uh, may, may those, uh, how's, how's it word? Let me find it. It's in Genesis. I knew I was going to get into this stuff like this. And, uh, but in, let, me, where, let me find it in Genesis where Isaac, birth of Isaac. Okay, no, I don't want that. Uh, uh, bride for Isaac, salt for bride. Okay, here it is. Listen, the, the brother and the sister come out and pray a prayer over Rebecca. Listen to what they say. Our sister May you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate him. Man, you talk about a prayer. Because who possesses the gates of those who hate them? The Jews. And the Islamics are standing there crouching their head. They're totally surrounded, and they're trying to figure out how in the world, why can't we just go in there and take Jerusalem? Why can't we just go and take all of Israel? They can't do it. Why? Because God's got a, this promise right here is in there. Now, so, uh, so the greatest sign of the, of the third temple. So 
what we get is why has it not been built? And people say, well, it's predominantly because of Islamics. No, it's not. It's not because of Islamics. It's because, listen to this, it's because they could not do it because they didn't have a red heifer. What do you mean they didn't have a red heifer? They could, they, could they build a building? They could have gone in there and built a building. Of course, there would have been all kinds of stuff going on, and the Islamics would have said no. They could not function the way God told them to function. They could not, because there was no priest that could walk in there to be able to do the things that Aaron did. Why? Because he, could, he would be unclean. The only way that the priest could go in there and be clean was that they had to do what God says here in, in, in uh, Numbers 19 and, have a, and cleanse them from the, uh, with the, the ashes from a red heifer. Now, let's, watch this. They have not had a red heifer since the time of Jesus. Not only have they not had a red heifer from the time of Jesus, but they could not do the things within the temple that they needed to do. It wasn't a point that they could not build a building. They could not function. Because what God said, he said this was forever. They couldn't function that way. Now, so think about this. From the time of Jesus until this time now, the Jews basically, we have to say, they have been totally unclean in their own eyes. They have been unclean. Why? Because no red heifer. Well, here's the thing. And I'm probably going to have to, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so, so, so they got to have a red heifer. All right, now, so the red heifer is the main component in what is called ritual purification. That's found over there in chapter 19. Because sin, and this was the covering of that sin. Now, this element has been absent since the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. You're living in a time when all of a sudden things are fixing to change. This is a big deal. The red heifer is a type of Jesus. So the red heifer is important. Most theologians agree when a red heifer would be born that it would clear, be a clear sign of the coming of the third temple. Well, if the coming of the third temple is, then how much farther, because we read in Revelation of the third temple, then how much more, how much time before Jesus comes? I wish, I mean, I wish I'd get this over to you better than what I'm doing. But I'm telling you, we're living in times right now that our Lord could be here at any second. Jesus said that the coming would be part of the coming kingdom, uh, verse 10, forever. And the ashes of the red heifer are needed for this, this, uh, this coming. Per, uh, the, the permanent, it's a permanent law. So even if they were to, to construct a third temple, they could not continue in the function of that temple. Why? Because they don't have a red heifer. From Moses to the destruction of the temple, there's only been nine red heifers. Then how did, how, how did they conduct all those rituals and ceremonies? 
they had a small quantity of ashes, but that ran out. Now, but from the day of Christ until now, there has been no ashes available. According to Jewish tradition, there will only be ten red heifers for the purpose of, of for the purpose of justice before the Messiah is revealed. The existence of such an animal is considered a biological anatomy. In other words, this animal has to have has to be totally red. Even the ears on the inside have to be red. Red, excuse me. His hoofs have to be red. Everything about him has to be red. And and the Jews tried for over 10 years to develop. I know that when we went to Israel several years ago, that one of the things that we knew, we saw a menorah, and there, there's what they call the, the, um, uh, oh, the temple, I'm trying to think of what it's called. Um, um, what's it called? It's called the temple um, council, or I'll, I'll think of it here in a minute. But, no, I'm not talking about Sanhedrin. There, there is a group of Jews over there what is it? The Temple Institute. Thank you. There's a group, and their, their whole mission has been for over 10-something years to get all the artifacts ready so when the temple is there, they can move in. So we know for a fact the menorah is already there. We know that all the other things, you know, if you go through all the furniture, you've had studies where you've gone through all the furnitures of the, of the, of the temple or the tabernacle, you know, the menorah, the uh, um, you know, the table of showbread, the, uh, gosh, I can't, you know, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant. All this stuff is ready. Now, we know that the only way a person can, can really be purified or come to a place is through Jesus Christ. We know that. But we're talking about Jewish tradition. We're talking about prophecy now. And we're talking about what's leading up to the time that our Lord's getting ready to come. So Jesus said that that coming kingdom is forever. Now, the permanent law, so even if they were to construct the third temple, all right, from Moses to the destruction of the temple, there's only, I said there's only been nine red heifers. And how, how did, so, so um, there's been no ashes available. The existence of such an animal is considered a biological anomaly, uh, and uh, uh, inside ears, everything has to be totally red, and it cannot. Now, government. Uh, so, so what happened with all this? How in the world did now all of a sudden did they get a red heifer? Well, guess what? They tried for ten years and couldn't do it. But there's a good old boy down in Texas. For he was a born again Christian. Uh, and he came to a place that he believed that the Lord had called him to breed a red heifer. So he started trying. And guess what he did? He came up with five. Now, if the government had come in there and tagged those calves, if he'd gone and tagged them, they would have been marred, and as a result of that, they would have been unqualified. But guess what happened? The guy that was supposed to come and tag the ears of the calf, he got COVID. (laughs) 
and he couldn't, he couldn't, he, uh, he got COVID and he couldn't come. So when he couldn't come, this guy in, in communication with the uh, temple, uh, what did you call temple institute, when they found out this guy had five of them, they jumped on a plane and came to America. When they came to America, they got all five of them, and they saw that these were pure. They got all five of them and put them on a plane to take them back to Israel. So everything is in place for the temple. And I, you know, when, when, you know and now you say, well, now wait a minute, Lee. Doesn't the Bible say, i got to get out of the sun somehow. I, I know how I'll do it. I'll turn this thing around, do this like this. I guess I'll stand here and hide behind this. I guess I'm going to give. We've got to have a shade. Um, but the thing, you know, you think about it, and uh, we really believe that this is not going to be, in many ways, the temple and everything else won't get started until the tribulation. So how close are we to the tribulation? How close are we? Uh, I believe we're close, guys. I mean, look at what's happening, not just here in the United States, but look all over the world. Look at what's happening. Man, we're so close, it's unbelievable. I don't know when in the world things could be set any greater way than they are right now for Jesus to come. So, so when, I, when I look at this stuff, uh, you know, and so he got it back there. Now, what does this mean to us? It means, uh, you know, um, it, it just and, and think about this. From the time of Jesus until right now, those Jews in Israel, they know it. They have been ceremonially unclean. You know, when God presented Jesus to them and gave them to them, and they wouldn't accept that. But now they think, guess what? Now, the Bible says that when the tribulation starts... One of the things it says, he's going to come to a, he's going to come to a country or a people who don't have walls. Help me out here, Mark. Don't have walls, and they're living in peace. Well, we know that Israel is not living in peace right now. It's not living in peace, and the reason they're not living in peace is because they're firing missiles. I mean, think about us. If we were living in there and, and missiles were coming in, we wouldn't be living in peace. We'd be running for our lives and worried about our family and everything else. But here's the thing. When the Antichrist comes in, what's, what's the sign, what's the number one sign that the tribulation has started? The, the Antichrist will come, and, he, and, and does anybody know who the Antichrist is now? No, nobody knows who he is. He's going to come in, and he's going to come in, you know, the first three and a half years, he's going to, boy, he's just going to be... Uh, you know, every, just everybody's going to think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then three and a half years, what happens? The abomination of desolation. What does that mean? That means he's going to go into the temple and set himself up of God. He's going to offer sacrifices that will be basically that will de that just destroys what's happening in the temple. Uh, and it will be an atrocity when it happens. Now, so when the Antichrist comes... How's he going to do that? He's going to, he's going to come with a tree between Israel and the rest of the world. And so guess what? Here comes peace. Here comes peace. And he's going to let them do what? He's going to let them build a temple. 
So how close are we? I don't know. But I'm telling you right now that I think with all my heart, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal. And so, the, you know, why is the red heifer important? So important to Bible prophecy because what's happening right now, what we see. And why, why, what is the water purification ceremony? It's so that the, head, the, the high priest can go in and then purify other people. And until they have this red heifer, they can't do it. So now, guess what they're doing? Israel is jumping up and down. They think, boy, this is it, you know. And so, and the third thing is, the birth of the red heifer, is it a sign of the end times? The answer to me is yes. I believe it is. Okay. I just, I had another message for tonight, but I just felt like I needed to come in here and talk about this. Now, because it's a big deal. And, and you know, uh, I think about us and who we ought to be, and I also think about the Bible says that we ought to be like the tribe of Issachar. Issachar is one of the smallest tribes in the Bible. And yet the Bible says about Issachar that they knew the Lord, but they knew the times and they knew what Israel should do. That's what we need. We need a bunch of people that not only understand, that understand the Word of God, but they know they, and they see the times and they understand what we should do. What we as a church should do. What we as a people should do. Because I'm going to tell you something. It could save your family's life. It should save your life. Uh, questions? Anything?